Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Ooh, is that pod on? Welcome to Volume 3 of Broadway Bullet. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, letting you hop onto the podcast train to destinations on and off Broadway. We're continuing our in-depth coverage of the New York Musical Theater Festival. We got a lot of stuff for you, including Oedipus for Kids. And now sing for me, parents. So my advice. So your advice. Beware of greed. Beware of greed. The greed of men. The greed of men. Illyria. Oblivious to everyone. White chicken heads be all up in my grub. Be stealing what I rightfully be owning, and that crap is mine. Captain Gravy's Wavy Navy. And lunch. All right, we got a lot to get to. I want to remind everybody that you can find out more information about all the shows we talk about at our website, broadwaybullet.com. Also, most of the musicals, you can find out about them at nymf.org for the New York Musical Theater Festival. I want to remind everybody that you just got a day or two to get your membership packages, although they still sell the membership packages after the first. You get to reserve seats early because single tickets go on sale September 1st. And if you're getting single tickets, I'd advise everybody to act fast. Some of these shows can sell out very quickly. We also have a contest every week called Stump the Staff, where all you theater buffs can submit trivia questions for the Drama Bookshop to answer. And if anybody stumps the staff, you win a $20 gift certificate to the Drama Bookshop. We'll tell you more about how you can win later on in the show, and we'll announce last week's winner. But let's not waste any time. Let's get talking to the first show. With all the events going on at the New York Musical Theater Festival, it's good to find a great musical that's perfect to bring all the kids to. That's why we have Oedipus for... Oh, uh, wait a minute. I'm going to take a wild guess here that Oedipus for Kids is meant to be a little ironic, and we have... A lot of the team involved here with us today. How's everybody doing? Great. How are you doing? Great. Everybody want to take just a quick second to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm Robert Saferstein, composer. Kimberly Patterson, co-book writer. Uh, Gil Verode, co-book writer and lyricist. And Dan Fields, director. Well, first off, um, I guess this is an obviously a unique take on Oedipus <laughs> from the title. Just a tad, yes. So what's the angle here? Well, first of all, we're slightly afraid about what you just said, because we are actually afraid some kids will come to the show. Uh, this show is in no way for kids at all. I mean, Oedipus is a Greek myth, or whatever, Greek myth history, about um, a, a man who killed his father and then got to know his mom really, really well. Yeah, so, married her, had sex with her, and had kids with her. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, in the most subtle way possible. And <laughs> to the entire psychiatric <laughs> yeah. movement. Yes. Yes, yes. yes you know, uh, it made Freud happy. So, no, this is not for kids. This is in many ways a farce. I mean, we... Uh, it's a comedy, it's a full-out comedy, um, and it's got, you know, the titles of the songs are things like My Lover is My Husband is My Son and A Little Complex. 
So the, the angle is how absurd could it be if um, three people tried to perform a musical for kids based on the Greek myth of Oedipus. How did you come across even wanting to do this? <laughs> uh, Gil and I were looking for something to collaborate on, so I'd said, hey, let's write a musical for kids. You know, we'll send it to Fringe, we'll send it to NYMF, we'll do some of these summer festivals. He said, all right. So we're thinking about what to write about, different topics, and both of us really like, you know, Greek tragedies and, and Greek myths. Greek myths, and, and so we figured, why don't we just adapt a Greek myth, right. you know, and that would be good. But as we were looking over it, we eventually found that most of them were really bloody or really sick or just not appropriate. Like, the lessons learned in each Greek myth were just not really what you'd want to give to for children. As we're going through it, uh, finally I said to Kim... Well, why don't we just do Oedipus? And Kim says... I really thought he was kidding. I said, Gil, you can't do Oedipus for kids. And that was it. And that was where the idea came from. And then after that, I sent an email to Bobby, who I had worked with on various other things, saying, here's uh, the lyrics to the first five songs. You have ten days until we get until we have to submit this into NYMF. Go. And I thought it was a wonderful concept, and I was like, okay, ten days, this is a challenge, we'll do it. But we'll make it work. And we did. And, uh, and we did, and eventually we, fin you know, we finished up the rest of the songs, we've made changes to the script since, um, we hired Dan, who's been a wonderful director and has been getting the show on his feet. And we have a wonderful crew and cast, and it's fantastic. It's, yeah. lot, it's, it's definitely the most fun theatrical Indeed. thing I've ever done, because yes. you can't not have fun with such a tasteless concept. Yes. <laughs> Did I hear you say that the, the whole concept of the show is that it's actually a children's theater troupe performing? It's actually piece? a children's theater troupe. Um, the idea is um, it's this group called the Fuzzy Duck Theater Company. And what they do is they bring the classics to children through theater. So they've done interpretations in the past of things like Little Women or you know Treasure Island. And this performance they've decided, or the artistic director of the group has decided, well, we can do anything. We are capable of it all. He's got a lot of hubris. Which Certainly links to the original our big tie-in with Oedipus there. Yeah, there we go. And, the and yeah, so and, and so finally he goes, well, why don't you know we're going to do Oedipus, and the group comes together to try to actually it's it's, it's a play within a play, you know, it's a musical within a play, and the three actors come together to try to put together uh, a production of Oedipus, and it eventually falls down to a giant Charybdis-like whirlpool of suck. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dan, I understand you directed. Uh, Associate directed the Putnam County Spelling Bee in Chicago. Right, the Chicago company. Yeah. So is this kind of a children's angle becoming a, a specialty for you? Yeah, I only do things that mock children and children's <laughs> related activities. Um, no, I'm not trying not to get uh, pigeonholed, but uh, that that uh, that recent credit certainly helped connecting with uh, with connect with the writers and composers on uh, on this one because they knew the show and were, f were fond of it. And I also knew uh, some of the things Gil had written on uh, when he does his oh, on, satires. On Broadway of, Abridged, right. Broadway yeah. Abridged. He had done a satire of a show I had associate directed last year, so we kind of bonded uh, over that, yeah, I, it's it's fun working on something where the where the conceit is the audience is uh, a group of kids and their parents, and we just take it from there. All right, before we go on, why don't we take a listen to one of the songs from the show? Would someone like to introduce the first song we're going to play? Sure. The first song we're doing is it's called "There Is No Man of Delphi." Uh, pretty much, what you need to know is the female of the group. She's pretty much fed, fed up with the entire Fuzzy Duck Theater troupe, and she decided she's either going to quit or the artistic director is going to let her perform a song uh, as the oracle that she wrote last night. So she comes in, and the other thing you really need to know is that she hates men, and she came into the whole thing trying to teach little girls so that they can grow up to become the next CEOs. I am the oracle, heed my advice, for the future is seen through my eye. I 
And now I shall tell the future as decided by the gods of Olympus, the fates of time, and how I'm feeling today. A man named Orpheus, his lover died. The gods will bring her back, back to his side. She'll follow if he trusts her, if he truly can. Comes next, he'll look behind and she will vanish. Her soul maligned, he will not listen because he is a man. Repeat after me. So, my advice, so your advice here's what I say, here's what you say to make your bed, to make our bed and floss each day, and, floss each day, and clean your room, and clean our room each time you can, each time we can, and learn to listen if you're a man. Wait. Old King Midas, it's been foretold, wished all he touches would turn to gold. His wish was granted. Then his woes began I know what comes next His daughter turns into a statue He never learns because he's greedy Typical of a man Now sing for me, parents So my advice So your advice Beware of greed Beware of greed The greed of men The greed of men Is why we bleed why we want It causes wars And poverty You've got to be kidding It's all cause men don't listen to me set on fire in the middle of your sleep and you will wake up screaming but you will not make a peep you try and reach the bathroom sink to put the beast to rest but when your pants are only bones you can't bless water on your chest you look into the mirror and a corpse meets your eyes the remnants of a vessel you no longer recognize you wish your death was over but it barely has begun for the gods who punish lightly they have just commenced their fun you'll live on for eternity forever you'll be damned you'll have no friends or family you'll frighten everyone you see cursed by all I guarantee because you listen not to me because you are a man so my advice, advice. Here's, what to do. here's what to do don't mess with women don't mess with women we'll eat you and eat your dreams each time you can and don't sleep at night no not if you're a man so you get involved into the project? Uh, I was looking for a new musical to direct. I like getting involved in projects. Plays or musicals really 
early on. I like being involved dramaturgically in the development of the of the show. Um, so I went to the intro meeting for the um, festival and sort of haphazardly bumped into these guys and got, got talking with them. And they hired me, and so we've been working on the development of it. They had a first draft, but they were eager to keep working on it because they had written it uh, so quickly. So mm -hmm. we've really been kind of doing that uh, together for a while now. And that's mm -hmm. been a really nice part, having Dan's collaboration. I mean, we started with maybe a 50, 60 page script and, and five songs and, five songs, yeah. and, and we now... doubled almost everything and just to have just to have this develop so much further. Yeah, just... there were a lot of holes when we first submitted it that we just wanted to fill in. There were some right. songs that we knew were going to be there but just weren't finished yet at the point and so we were able to work with Dan and Dan had an idea. He had, especially had a third person point of view on the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was um, nice to be have someone who was removed from the project. And yet still has the same sick sense of humor. It. So <laughs> yeah, it really helped. worked yes. very well. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate no. that. The cast also does too. They've had, we've only been in rehearsal. The cast has also um, contributed a lot um, th to the humor as well. Yes. We do a lot of laughing in the rehearsal when we discover how to make things even sicker and more appropriate than they are. And I also understand, Dan, that you're incorporating a lot of improvisation into the show as well. Um, the writers put uh, some places in where the where the uh, actors of the Fuzzy Ducks company would stop when a theme was presented and have a talk back, or as they call it, a quack back with the kids in the audience about being lonely or having big brothers or things like that. So we're, we're uh, developing those as improv moments where the actors will actually talk to the audience and guide the conversation to what we hope will be even more inappropriate places. It's a three-person cast and obviously everybody's kind of playing a bunch of things. What kind of is happening with the, the actors in the show? We have um, the members of the Children's Theatre Company um, again very earnestly trying to put on this musical except for as we heard earlier, um, our female member who has just decided that she is fed up with the production and even working with her collaborator. So they are trickling into our Charybdis-like suck. And then we're also able to see some of the backstage scenes where not only do we watch their relationships you know, grow and evolve and devolve as it may be, we get to experience a little bit of the intermission from their point of view instead of just the audience has now gone into the lobby for a short break. We get to see what happens backstage. And in the end, everything just sort of implodes. We got a really amazing cast. Gavin Lewis is the artistic director of the Fuzzy Ducks Theater Company who has authored this version of Oedipus for Kids. And Laura Jordan plays the woman who's been his partner in creating these musicals for the last seven years. And then Reed Prescott uh, plays a young actor who's um, making his stage debut in the role of Oedipus and has just come out of a So You Want to Be an Actor workshop. And it also turns out that Gavin and Laura, uh, in real life, are brother and sister. So uh, they get to play antagonistically, just like they did when they were kids. <laughs> There's been a lot of the show fighting, so it works well the way brothers and sisters would. Yeah. I understand the next project you're all working on is Titus Andronicus, The Bedtime Story. Actually, <laughs> well, actually it would be... So Titus Andronicus Bakes a Cake. Right. Yes. <laughs> Just followed by Uncle Tommy's Cabin. Yes. So, you know. High art. We, we like being pigeonholed, too. So what dates can people catch the show? Uh, we open Tuesday, September 12th at 8 o'clock, and we'll run through Monday, September 25th. Uh, that performance is also at 8. And what theater is this at? We're in the Sage Theater 
It's at 711 7th Avenue, which is between 47th and 48th. It's a tiny space. It's on the second floor. Um, used to be a strip club, which is slightly appropriate for our very twisted production. All right, well, we're going to take a uh, listen to one more song from the show. Uh, Bobby, would you like to introduce this one? Sure. Uh, the next song that you're going to be hearing is called A Little Complex. And this song, um, basically, musically, it's, Oedipus at this point has just been told by the Oracle that he's going to do something dang nasty, awful to his mommy and kill his father. So he actually has to flee, as encouraged by his older older brother. His older brother, Oedipus. Yes. Um, so this song, he's all alone. He's about to go forward by himself, um, afraid of what he may do if he stays and not sure of what's about to come and happen to him. It's pretty much the equivalent of an I want song, if not. I Want song. We're in a musical called Oedipus for Kids. Well, thanks for stopping down as Thank you get you ready for your much. show. Thank you. Thank you. When a little boy runs away and he goes very far from his home, how he wishes that he could just stay, but he's lost in the desert alone. And he wants to go back cause he misses his mom. And he dreamed one day she'd see him off to prom. But she won't slow dance with him, the child suspects, since his life got a little complex. Yes, he's all alone and he's scared, and he really just wants to be nursed, back to health by the mommy who cared. It's like Oedipus has been accursed. But the oracle said that he'd kill his dad Also something about mommy sounded real bad So he stands all alone In song he reflects How his life got a little complex I'm gonna start again Yes, blow me Are my own two feet And they'll show me To a town with the Milford, Massachusetts feel Away from fortunes told that seem all too real. Meanwhile, in each goodbye, we seek the continuation of our lifelong hunt. Oh, dear Lord, please let me come home to find a new family. In due time, I will be happy. But someday. loved from the place that I know as my birth like my dad who I love just as strongly as my older brother who gave me this locket that has a picture of mommy in funny underwear is that zucchini she's holding there Meanwhile, I'm scared of myself, the things they say I might do. Mom and Dad, that's why I've limped away from you. Whatever Oedipus touches, Oedipus wrecks. Since his life got a little complex. We're starting a new segment this week. Marty Cooper is the manager down at The Colony, a great store on 49th and Broadway that sells musical theater cast albums, karaoke, sheet music for musicals, and a whole lot more. It's a great, friendly place. You can find a lot of great stuff, 
and Marty Cooper knows everything and has seen it all, so he's going to be doing a regular segment called On the Positive Side. This week, his topic is going to be the new musicals coming to Broadway this season. So let's welcome Marty for the very first episode of Marty Cooper on the positive side. Hey, I'm calling my segment of the show on the positive side because I'm not here to run Broadway shows out of town like a lot of critics do. And even if I don't like something about a show, I will, I'll figure that somebody out there might like it. So uh, why give a negative view of things? I just want to discuss the upcoming season on Broadway. Uh, we have, uh, I believe, four new musicals coming. One of them is, uh, is an English import. Everyone knows about Mary Poppins, produced by Cameron McIntosh, who does very little wrong. I've seen that in London, and it's a wonderful show. It's a lot darker than the Technicolor movie you saw a few years back. A few years. Uh, we're talking 40 years back, I think. You have High Fidelity, based on, on the funny movie, uh, starring Will Chase. And you'll have, uh, and you'll have lyrics by Amanda Green, who's, who's the daughter of Adolph and uh, Adolph Green and Phyllis Newman, who writes very witty stuff, so I'm sure that'll be funny, you know, and uh, I don't know what the music is going to be like. The music is by a fellow named Tom Kitt, who I don't know his, his work at all. And then you're going to have Legally Blonde, which is hopefully will fill the 1800-seat Palace Theater. It's written by my good friend Larry O'Keefe who gave us Bat Boy back in 2001. We're going to have also a new Bibliel and Schoenberg, uh, produced by the Riverdance people, and it's called The P Pirate Queen. I'm looking forward to that. It's obviously going to be a, a big production. The only thing I'm feeling a little funny about, they say they're going, to do a, they're going to do a video blog, and that brings memories of Lestat, you know, which did the same thing. And I worry a little about that if they're trying to push a show like that. But from what I've seen online, it looks very interesting. And you're going to have this Celtic thing going on. To me, Bubli Allen Sherberg can do no wrong. I loved Martin Gare. thought that was great. I loved Miss Saigon. And so uh, hopefully this will be a big hit for them. That'll be spring at the Hilton Theater. And as I said, we will have uh, two imports from Off-Broadway. There's Spring Awakening, as I said, the Duncan Sheik musical, which got fair to Midland reviews Off-Broadway, but seems to be a, a popular item. And I uh, hope it does well in the transfer to the slightly bigger Eugene O'Neill Theater. And then we have Grey Gardens, which to me is a very interesting project. First of all, I grew up in the Kennedy generation at one point, and I remember when the movie came out, I thought it a bit odd that Jacqueline Kennedy had an aunt and a cousin that were as strange as that. From what I hear of uh, Christine Ebersole's role, people are saying the Tony Award is engraved already. So uh, we'll, I'm looking forward to that a great deal. And the two giant revivals. I don't think we've seen revivals like this in a long time. Uh, one that hasn't been here for 15 years. That seems for any theater person, it's Theater 101, uh, Chorus Line. We all know the score. And from what I've heard, I spoke to somebody that was just in San Francisco, and, and they said that it hasn't changed at all. That is basically the same show that left Broadway 15 years ago which to me is good news. You, you don't want to bring that musical up. You don't want to change the time period. You'd have to drag us through the AIDS epidemic. And so you do not want to change the era at all. You want to leave it back in 1975. And 
I think that'll be welcome on Broadway. I think that's one of the most exciting things to happen on Broadway in a long time, bringing that back. And then, of course, my favorite, Les Miserables, is coming back. The lead in the show just is finishing playing the Beatle in Sweeney Todd. Uh, he's the son of the great Broadway conductor Paul Gimignani, and I, I know Alex from when he the from the time he was a little boy. He would come into Colony Records, you know, seeking music, and now he's uh, he'll be the main man at Les Mis. And it'll be interesting hearing Daphne Rubin Vega trying to reach those notes in I Dreamed a Dream. I am really wondering how that's going to come down. Looking forward to all of this. It's going to be a great season for opening nights, and uh, I'm positive about everything, and I don't want anything to fail, especially me being a neighbor of a lot of these people. You want to see more and more people coming to Broadway, and no dark houses. We can't have any dark houses, and thanks a lot. Well, there's obviously a lot to look forward to for you musical theater fans. On the Positive Side is brought to you by The Colony, located at 49th and Broadway, and on the web at colonymusic.com. Let's get talking to our next show in the New York Musical Theater Festival. William Shakespeare has been fodder for many an adaptation in musical theater, and we've got another creative endeavor involving that with Illyria. Two of the members are here with us today. How are you two doing? We're great. We're good. Would you like to introduce yourselves and what you're doing with the show? I'm uh, Peter Mills. I'm the composer, lyricist, and I guess co-adapter of the book. And I'm Kara Reichel, and I'm the director of the piece, and also I developed and co-adapted the piece with Pete. You're involved with a theater company, correct? Mm-hmm. We are founding members of Prospect Theater Company, which was started in 99. And one of the things we've been doing um, all, all along is developing work by Pete. <laughs> and also, um, we've been devoted to new musical theater for the past couple of years. Fantastic. I'm sure we'll be talking to you further later on down the line. Mm -hmm. What is your involvement, uh, Illyria, with the New York Musical Theater Festival this year? We are specifically what's called a partner event. Illyria is a one-night-only concert. We are at the Lambs Theater, which is not a venue that other festival shows are performing in. It's just sort of a one-night thing that we've put together and are cross-promoting with the festival. I understand that the musical is based around Twelfth Night. That's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Shakespeare classic comedy. So how close do you stick? Some people wildly adapt Shakespeare into modern gangster scenarios, and w what's your take on Twelfth Night? Yeah, I would say that ours uh, is probably toward the more faithful end of the spectrum. We stick very closely to the Shakespeare. A fair amount of the dialogue is lifted straight from the Shakespeare, though in general the Elizabethanness is toned down a bit, but it's still sort of set in Shakespeare's world of the yeah, play, I would yeah. say. It's Pete, not transplanted to a nightclub in Harlem. Or Pete has sort of made the book part of the language very, um, it has this feeling of not being Elizabethan and foreign, but it also doesn't feel contemporary. And we, we called it sort of Shakespeare, you know. The lyrics to the songs are sort of their own sort of heightened verse language in a way. So I don't know, you'd be hard pressed to, I think, find a lot of examples exact quotes from the play, but in terms of the scene structure and the characters, it's all pretty much the same. Most people probably are familiar with the show, but in case somebody's confusing it with other Shakespeare comedies, let us let me ask you this. You're stuck in an elevator with a Hollywood film executive who doesn't know what Twelfth Night is about. What's your 30-second pitch? Twin brother and sister are shipwrecked on the Isle of Illyria. She disguises herself as a boy for protection and goes into service of the Duke there. She falls in love with the Duke, but she's dressed as a boy. The Duke, meanwhile, is in love with the Lady Olivia, sends uh, the girl, dressed as a boy, to court Olivia on his behalf. Olivia falls in love with 
the girl dressed as a boy. Comic triangle ensues. So the Hollywood exec might say, oh, great, it's she's the man meets castaway. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they would say. All right, we're going to play one of the songs here before we continue with the interview. Um, Would you like to tell us a little bit about this first song? Sure. Uh, This is actually from the comic subplot of the show, which I didn't get into before. But it concerns essentially an elaborate practical joke that uh, some of the comic subplot characters play on Malvolio, who is the very officious, priggish steward of Lady Olivia. He likes to throw his weight around. And in this particular number, Mariah, who's uh, a maidservant in Olivia's house, is planning a, a sort of cruel prank they can play on Malvolio where they will make him think that the Lady Olivia, his master, or his mistress, I should Mm -hmm. say, is in love with him, and then he will proceed to make an ass of himself. So in this number called The Man is Mine, she outlines her plot to her conspirators, who are uh, Sir Toby, Olivia's drunken uncle, and Sir Andrew, a kind of hapless suitor to Olivia, and Festy, the, uh, the fool. All right, well, here's The Man is Mine. As for Master Malvolio, leave him to me. Why? What do you have in mind? Let me tell you all a little of him. For I've observed an interesting quirk. He thinks that all who look on him must love him. And this is where my method goes to work. I know his type. The man is vain. The man's a ripe tomato hanging on the vine. A little luck, a little pluck will make it plain in time. The man is mine. What will you do? I can write very much like my lady. In fact, the untrained eye can hardly make distinction between our hands. I smell a plot. I have it in my nose, too. I will set some pretty words before him, and he will seize upon them like a clue. Assuming as he does that all adore him, his only thought will be to find out who. And just like that, the man's a meal, the man's a fat, delicious mackerel on the line. A little bait, a little bite, and then I reel him in. The man is mine. Now he will think, from the letter you write, that my niece is in love with him? My purpose is indeed a horse of that color. Oh, and your horse will make him an ass. Ass? I doubt not. He'll be a fool by being what he wants to be. He is a fool. I only need to set him free to be a fool for all. to hurl before the swine. A little hat beneath the pot and then the goose is cooked. <laughs> the pig is poked. Huh? The fish is hooked. Huh? The chicken's choked. The tomatoes plucked. The pearl is hurled. The oyster's shut. And all the world is fine. The man is mine. 
as I understand it, this show was originally produced in 2002. Through our theater company, we develop a lot of new work um, in a very sort of intense kind of laboratory environment. And the outcome of that process is usually a sort of equity showcase production off off Broadway here in the city. So that was the first presentation of Illyria, and it was in April 2002. And we got um, pretty strong reviews, and we kept working on it. And uh, subsequently did another reading, the, another concert, and then there was a regional premiere. Yeah, the Benefit concert that we did and the regional premiere were both in 2004, and we had done a fair amount of editing by then, taken about 20 minutes off the show in length, you know, mm-hmm. cut a couple songs. So this will sort of be the fourth bigger incarnation of the show now here at the mm-hmm. festival. And and we hope the final version. Uh, the show is actually getting ready to be um, licensed and sort of published so that community and regional theaters across the country can do it. So we're, we're using this concert as a way of testing out that final version before it goes out in the world. Most of our listeners, some may be aware, some may not, uh-huh. that most musicals go through quite a bit of revision over their development process. Um, what were a couple of the major things that you noticed over its, its progression? I, f- I feel like there were fewer book issues than is typical with a new musical because Shakespeare is so damn good and uh, the characters in the story were there and it was just a question of us telling it more economically. I think the major area that we uh, worked on for this latest rewrite was the opening of the show. It's tricky because the top of Twelfth Night involves the shipwreck and a tragedy. Uh, Viola, the heroine, thinks that her brother has drowned and so there's some heavy stuff up front but we for the purposes of the musical, need to let people know early on that it's going to be a comedy, that it's going to be a fun evening. And so the real trick became finding a way of getting through all the exposition at the top of the show in a way that still let people know that they were in for a comedy, but, you know, the the shipwreck is very important to the plot and you have to have to get through that. And so we think we've found a better way now. And as always, you know, um, just shaving that you know, one minute off here, two minutes off there, because we've we've had now the privilege of seeing the show performed in front of a lot of paying audiences. And you can immediately tell when you're sitting in the middle of a group of strangers and whether they're laughing or whether they're leaning forward in their seat and listening or whether they're, you know, kind of bored and they're fanning themselves in the program. Mm-hmm. So I think it's so crucial to be able to have that chance, especially for a comedy, to see where the laughs come and see, like, which songs get the riotous applause and which songs get polite applause, you know? And, and then that really helps you, like, cut out the dead, dead wood, you know? Now, what was some of the adaptation process like, the two of you working together? And we actually started this process by, um, in the summer of 2001, we did an outdoor production of the Shakespeare play, Twelfth Night, which we presented in Central Park, you know, just for free. Anyone could come by. And Pete actually wrote some music actually setting Shakespeare's There are quite a few songs in the Shakespeare play. There are about six or seven songs. And so, yeah, I set those, though none of that made it into the the musical version that we subsequently did. Yeah. So, but so. but what was so great about that is we really got to know the play intimately and and you know Shakespeare's language intimately, and that was the launching ground for for adapting it. And basically, after we did that original piece, we wrote a lot of the or Pete wrote a lot of the show in the space of like two months, I think. Our version, Illyria, is really focuses on the comedy and the music and the the romance in the play. There is kind of a darker side to the play Twelfth Night, which we have consciously played down just because it was sort of 
hard to sustain that within the musical comedy tone that we were writing in. So, What night can they catch this concert? On Monday evening, which is the first Monday of the Music Theater Festival, September 11th, and it's at 7.30 p.m. at the Lambs Theater main stage, which is 130 West 44th Street, I believe. And uh, we hope that, yeah, people will come check it out. There's plenty of seats, and it's only one night, so, you know, make sure you put us on your calendars. Would you uh, like to introduce one more song from the show? Sure. This is a number called Save One. This is a trio that ends the first act of the show. It's the love triangle, basically, and it's a point where the love triangle has kind of reached an impasse. Viola, dressed as a boy, Sebastian, uh, is in love with Duke Orsino. Duke Orsino is in love with the Lady Olivia, and the Lady Olivia is in love with the boy, she thinks, Sebastian, who is Viola. And what happens at the end of the first act is the real Sebastian shows up on the scene, and that launches us into act two. All right. Well, here it is, and thanks for coming down. Thanks.
The podcast isn't all about the New York Musical Theater Festival, though we are covering many, many of the shows from it at the moment. Jessica Lynn Johnson had a very successful one-woman show at the Fringe Festival. It was so successful, she decided to extend the run on her own. She'll be performing a few snippets of her characters from the show, and Minox will be interviewing her right now. Oh, hell no. I know this ain't your man, and I know you ain't trying to play me like that. Shoot. You white chicken heads be all up in my grub, be stealing what I rightfully be owning, and that crap is mine. Am I right, audience? I'll be so sick and tired of my strong black brothers being weak, being tempted by the white woman gonna offer up herself for free. My man be satisfied with what I be giving him. Ain't you be trying to get up in my stuff, okay? Do you understand me for real? For real. Minox here from Minox Music Mix. Last week, if you listened, you may have heard my report from the International Fringe Festival happening here in New York. And this week, I was lucky enough to get one of the actresses from one of the one-person shows over here. Oblivious to Everyone, written and performed by Jessica Lynn Johnson and directed by Chris Sorensen, was one of the other one-person shows that I really enjoyed this year. Johnson takes on 10 extreme characters living in America, from a porn star valley girl to a transsexual stuttering lisped man to an eliminate pervert who's a drunk at a bar. And this all basically proves to viewers that media and entertainment exist to educate, inform, and entertain, but not to socialize. The scene is very simple. Jessica Lynn Johnson arrives to her shrink's office, going on really about nothing, Just what she's noticed in the glossy pages of this week's tabloid or what she caught recently on Jerry Springer, her insecurities build up to a final climax where the young brand-toting tabloid A-lister wannabe freaks out in a montage of all ten characters. The most chilling part of the play is when Johnson portrays a young girl, probably younger than ten years of age, talking about her family not getting along and the war going on which she really doesn't understand. Basically, the concept that I took from the show is that life's complicated and we have so many distractions competing for our attention and our money, but just take a moment and just be, just live, just just appreciate what you have and love people and embrace people. I have Jessica Lynn Johnson here with me and uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about the show. I was wondering uh, about the discussion in my intro about the little girl and how that's the simplest character and kind Mm -hmm. of what that means. You have all of these extreme characters in Oblivious to Everyone, and I think this simple child under the age of 10 really describes um, the whole meaning of the show. Yeah. um, Well, I wanted to include a character that was just completely honest and, and, as you said, simple, and I think children are that. And also, children are usually very loving until they're taught, you know, to hate or they're taught what's right and wrong. And so I needed a character to stick out in Carrie's mind and uh, teach her um, just an acceptance level of of minorities and homosexuals and just uh, everything that she had biases and prejudice against. And can you talk a little bit about where you were and how, what the writing process was like when you were doing... um, I don't know if there was a lot of research that went into this. I don't know if there was anything autobiographical or people that you've met along the way that are um, portrayed. Yeah, all of that. Everything you just said was part of the process. Um, Yeah, like one of the sexually uh, confused man, the transsexual, he uh, was actually based on a high school teacher of mine. A lot of the characters I took straight from talk shows, you know, like Ricky Lake and Jenny Jones, Jerry Springer, like all that stuff. And then a lot of research went into it. You know, a lot of it came out of college courses I took about, you know, gender studies and human sexuality and 
you know, feminist philosophy, all that stuff. So, yeah, definitely a lot of research over the years, you know, my own reading and stuff went into One other thing I was wondering is kind of, do you think there is a major section of the population that really is getting maybe too much of their information from the media, from entertainment, from some of these shows and magazines? And are we are we focusing too much on, on some of these things? And Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think the United States as a whole has become obsessed with the media. I mean, I feel like the most important thing to us right now is like Brangelina and like, you know, Botox. Like those are like the biggest things on, the, on Americans' minds. And we have a war going on. And it's just um, amazing to me what our priorities have become. And I think it is because it's easier to remain oblivious. People don't want to think about those things. It's painful. It's like you, you feel overwhelmed. Like what can I even do to help this situation? So you'd rather like worry about Jennifer Aniston, like, is she getting over Brad? You know, it's easier than than worrying about these things. So. so, Jessica, I was actually wondering if you would be interested to do some of your show, like a little segment, maybe yeah. freak out and show us some of your characters. And... <laughs> yeah, I'll freak out for you. Show you All right. <laughs> All right, Broadway Bullet listeners, here we go. This is a transsexual, female-to-male um, character that I do that is on the Oprah Winfrey show. It is becoming more and more apparent, okay, through research, that this notion of, of a maternal instinct is, is, is both archaic and, and sexist in nature, okay? All right? Not only that, Oprah, not only that, findings don't even support the existence of such an idea. And in the opinion of myself <laughs> and, and several esteemed colleagues, okay, okay, we find that such patriarchal institutions are both null and void, okay? For instance, some women are better nurturers than some men, but some men are actually better nurturers than some women, okay? It's really more a matter of socialization in the particular home environment that each parental unit inhabited during their childhood, okay? You see, Oprah, if you look at the work of feminist philosopher Nancy Chodoro or transgender activist Leslie Feinberg, you're, you're going to see people who are adequately arguing against this widely accepted theories. The next character is a porn star taken from the Howard Stern Show. Howard, I personally feel empowered, you know, just like being sexy, having my photo taken, like whatever, like knowing that guys like everywhere are like drooling over my picture is like so ego boosting, you know, I'm like whatever I just get so sick of these like people trying to tell me that like the men are really the ones with the power like hello yeah whatever and like there's totally a difference between like me and like a lesbian because like whatever like yeah I'll do girl on girl for like my videos or like turn guys on or experiment or like whatever but like I need Zick you know like I'm not gonna march in some gay pride parade or something like that so whatever Anyway, back to the whole supposed power struggle thing. Um, Like, Robin, like, you totally represent girl power, you know, like, even though it's Howard's show. And, like, I totally respect that, you know, because, like, me, like, I really want to have my own porn company someday and be this, like, really strong woman. You know, because, like, when I got my boobs done, it was, like, this 180 for me. Like, all of a sudden... These guys who, like, never gave me the time of day were suddenly, like, calling me all the time, taking me out to dinner, buying me crap, like, whatever. Yeah. 
So that was hilarious. That was Jessica Lynn Johnson, and I had a lot of fun watching your show, and I really wanted to thank you for coming over to Next Big Hit Broadway Bullet. Jessica has an upcoming performance. If you could just tell us and our listeners about that. Yeah, it's at the Producers Club September 14th through the 16th, um, and you can find all the information on my website. So I'd love to have you all out there. And what's that site? It's www.jessicalynnjohnson.com. There's a little bit of something for everybody at the New York Musical Theater Festival. And another prime example of that is our next show. I'm talking with a couple of the people involved with Captain Gravy's Wavy Navy. And how are you guys doing? Doing great. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you introduce yourselves quickly? I'm David Cooper, co-writer of the book, Music and Lyrics, along with Jeffrey Katz. And my name's Carrie Skozik. I'm the costume designer. This sounds like a very fanciful show. I've... Sure. Um, well, the show is officially called Captain Gravy's Wavy Navy Wears the Moon. It's been described sort of as a Pee-wee's Playhouse meets Yellow Submarine adventure to the depths of your imagination. Or actually, it's been described as a kitschy, catchy, campy romp to the depths of your imagination. That's a nutshell. But basically, it's the um, story of an unlikely superhero and his quest to save the moon that has been stolen by his arch-nemesis, Mew Palu, the Duke of Dirt, who has stolen the moon and made uh, the man in the moon homeless. And, of course, without the moon, the Earth starts going crazy and the tides and the temperatures drop and all in a diabolical plot for Mew Palu to become the, the frozen seafood king of the world. So uh, Captain Gravy and his wavy navy cohorts have to find their way through the dirty empire to rescue the moon and the man in the moon. Now, is this aimed to be like a, a children's musical or an adult's musical? or? Well, it really walks a very fine line between both. In the past, when the, when the uh, piece has been produced, adults loved it. I mean, we had people laughing, we had people crying, and kids loved it. And a lot of the jokes that the adults got, the kids didn't get, and vice versa. It's sort of like the way Bugs Bunny used to be. For It was campy enough for adults, and kids loved it, too. When I was a kid, I loved Bugs Bunny, and I didn't get a lot of the jokes, but I laughed anyway. And it's sort of like that. And the music appeals to everybody. It's very Beatlesque. So would you say this would be, for the people who are going to a few shows in the festival and are looking for something they can bring their kids to, this would be a good option for both of them? They absolutely could bring their kids to this show. All right, well, we're going to play a song from the show. This is called I'm a Little Stinker. It's sung by the villain Mew Palu stands for Mutant Pollutant. It's basically his quest to rule the world and sort of explaining where he's coming from with that. All right, let's take a listen. I'm not really such a bad guy No, I raise a little stench But I didn't get to where I am By trying to be a man
Now, Carrie, uh, we haven't had a chance to talk to you here yet. From the description of the show, it sounds like there's a lot of great costume opportunities in this show. There is. There's um, Everybody's pretty wacky. Well, well of course, Captain Gravy has this wild hair that changes colors. It's his mood hair, and he's kind of the absent-minded professor. And You know, I picture him with his pants too short, you know, his jacket's too tight, and his socks are different colors. And Then there's Rayadar who's got a very sexy sari and lots of bracelets. And, and Happy the Clam is kind of crossed between Miss Yvonne and a cheerleader. Uh, <laughs> then there's the Octorator with many octopus arms. So she's kind of got the tight sweater over the shoulders with the pearls and the glasses and a tight skirt and the updo. Now, is it going to be just you putting these costumes together, or do you have a little team to help you out? It's just me. <laughs> but that's, that's okay. I mean, I've done this. I did costumes for 12 years in Milwaukee for a theater company, Theater X, and... I did things um, like Charles Bush's Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, and that was totally camp and wacky. I mean, I made things out of curtains, and it's just, you know, it's going to be a lot of hot glue and a lot of weird toys. And I might, I might show up and help her uh, yeah, hot glue David, a couple of things. Yeah, David will help me shopping. And no, as I understand, uh, you were just recently invited to the festival a little bit later than some of the other shows. That's true. We got a phone call from someone at the festival. We had we had submitted last year, and we were we were a finalist, and we didn't make it in to the final amount. And then this year, we missed the deadline. We were very upset about it. But we got a call from someone from the festival. There was a last-minute space, and we really didn't think we were going to do it. We didn't think we could really mount it and get it together and fund it and costumes and cast and put it all together in such a short time. So we almost said no, and then a lot of people encouraged us you have to do it. You have, what are you, crazy? You have to do it. So, you know, we kind of saw the light by the end of that week, and then we called, and we said, yeah. I mean, because we, we really wanted to do it, but we just wanted to make sure we could. Carrie, with that last-minute timing, I know a lot of costume designers have, like, directors will give them months and months to conceptualize and get their sketches together. How is uh, the time schedule affecting you on what is definitely a costume-heavy show? Yeah, I don't think it's... I'm trying to think it's not going to be that crazy. My quote-unquote day job is pretty flexible, so that's fine. But I'm used to doing things, like, in a short amount of time with a little amount of money and just making it totally wacky. I mean, David and I have been talking about this since we met waiting in line to meet Pee Wee Herman. That's so true. it's, you know, kind of the characters have been in my brain. And then, like, I've done the Mermaid Parade over the last 10 years, and that's always last-minute insanity. So I think, you know, I can hit the ground running pretty fast. <laughs> Would you like to tell us the dates that uh, people can catch the show? They will be happening between the 14th and the 22nd of September. And do you know what theater that's at? The theater is called the 45th Street Theater, and that's on 45th Street between 8th and 9th. All right, well, thanks. And what is definitely a very hairy schedule for coming down to talk to everybody on Broadway Bullet. Would you like to introduce another song from the show? Sure. Actually, this is the serious song of the show, but it, it sort of shows another side of things. It's a little more of a sentimental ballad called Just Look in Your Heart, and it's, it's about saying goodbye. All right. Well, thanks for coming down. Thank you. Thank you. Not 
on for always. You find me just looking your heart. I'll be waiting to find you just looking your heart. To find a friend like you. I've searched my dream Could I be losing you? And that's what it seems But when we're alone We're not really apart Believe me, I'm with you Just look in your heart We have a winner for the Stump the Staff contest for the first week. Sylvestrix stumped the staff with her question. Name two U.S. presidents within the past 50 years who had staged operas written about them. Now, I know I don't know the, the first one, but I was told that they came up with one of them, but their resident opera expert was out for the moment. So Sylvestrix wins, but in order to claim her prize, she's got to go on the Volume 2 forum and tell us the answer. So if you're wondering which two U.S. presidents within the past 50 years had staged operas written about them, check out the Volume 2 forum for Broadway Bullet at broadwaybullet.com. And if you would like to stump the staff for next week, just go to Volume 3. There's a link where you can submit your questions. The first 10 questions submitted are eligible, but you only have until Thursday night to get the questions in, and we'll be doing this every week. So if you miss it, keep your questions in mind for next week. Then they have until Tuesday night to answer the questions. Whoever stumps the staff wins a $20 gift certificate to the Drama Bookshop, and they do ship anywhere, and they have an online store, so this is good no matter where you live. If nobody stumps the staff, the last question answered, that person still will win a $20 gift certificate to the Drama Bookshop. The Drama Bookshop is located between 7th Avenue and 8th Avenue on 40th Street in New York City, or you can shop online at 
dramabookshop.com. All styles of music are fair game for musical theater these days, and our new show really proves that point. We got a couple people involved with the musical Lunch, which will be playing at the New York Musical Theater Festival. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Good, very good. You guys want to take a quick moment to introduce yourselves and what you're doing with the show? I am Sean Northrup. I'm the writer of the show. Uh, my name is Leo Goodman, and I am a cast member. I play John and Coach Johnson. Well, why don't we start off with kind of the basics. Uh, Sean, do you want to tell us a little bit about what Lunch is about? Uh, lunch is a musical that takes place in the cafetorium of uh, Benjamin Franklin Middle School, and it's a bunch of vignettes that happen at different tables in the cafeteria. And one of the vignettes is also a little punk band that plays on the cafetorium stage during lunch. All these different little stories happen as the students are preparing to attend the eighth grade dinner dance. And then the last scene is the eighth grade dinner dance where all the stories sort of come back together and there's a riot by the end. All the vignettes uh, before the dance, of course, all... There, there are many different scenes, but they're supposed to be taking place at the same time. There will be references in, in later scenes to people looking off stage and seeing something that the audience already saw before just to bring it into place. Yeah, that's true. Now, Leo, um, unless you have some sort of extreme hormone problem, I don't think you're an eighth grader. How is the... Uh... Uh, well, the fact is I do have an extreme hormone problem, and I'll thank you not to talk about it in public anymore. Uh, no, the casting of the show is they try to cast all 20-somethings and to play 8th graders. And we're, we're not attempting to be deliberately young. Like, we're not coming out like, look at me, I'm in 8th grade. But, but it's part of the convention of the show. We don't try to hide the fact that we're 20-something from the audience. The audience knows, we know, it adds to the joke. And one thing we've and, said many times in uh, rehearsal, which is... 13, 14-year-olds are trying so hard to be adults, yes. so it would be kind of silly for us to all of a sudden be acting like children. So Yeah. Now, how did the show originate? The show originated uh, as a 10-minute musical in a festival called the Madcap Players Winter Carnival. And at the time, they uh, commissioned three mini-musicals. One was called Breakfast, Lunch, and Dinner. I obviously was asked to write Lunch, and uh, that was the early origins of the show. Uh, I wrote a 10-minute version of it, and... I don't remember where I went, but I went off somewhere for a few weeks, and I came back to see uh, the work that they had been doing and see a run for the first time. And I was just sort of blown away by uh, what they had done and how great the scene ended up actually working out. And so I thought I really needed to write more for this show. Didn't you write it actually while we were performing? That's true. You were backstage uh, expanding it? (laughs) <laughs> During the carnival, the winter carnival, you know, when you, whenever you're doing a festival of 10-minute musicals, as I'm sure, or 10-minute plays, as I'm sure many people out there have experienced, you have a lot of time to kill backstage. And so when I was waiting for the show to happen and you know, I was hanging out backstage, I would literally sit back there with my laptop and write the other scenes. It was both productive and incredibly antisocial, uh, given, the <laughs> given the circumstances. Who did I want to socialize <laughs> with? You? <laughs> All right, before we uh, continue on with the interview, do you want to introduce one of the songs from the show? Uh, sure. The first song is called Mophead Ska Song. Uh, Mophead is the lead singer of the band that's playing the Cafetorium stage. And the show opens with a performance from this band, and this is the song they play. One, two, three, four! And the bass... Mine is the bus at 7.30 to 
science class, sponsored by NASA, PE, sponsored by Crunch. The three R's are brought to you by the letters W-H-U-Y, and then it's time for lunch. I understand that Leo is the only remaining original cast member from the show. Yes. Picture me old and grizzled. Did yes. you kill all the other cast members? Uh, I tried and to. ate them, actually. I tried to. Um, yeah, I, I was I was in the, the original 10-minute piece, and then they kept me with it. Over the next year or so, they did, we did a couple different uh, workshop readings of the expanded version, and then we did the show for the Fringe Festival in D.C. And, and actually, the 10-minute the piece that I was in basically... As he said, it's a bunch of vignettes, and the 10-minute play just became one of those scenes, and it was the same word-for-word word, unchanged in, in the DC Fringe Festival, like, almost two years later. But but neither of the two other cast members who, who were in that scene and had been with it from the beginning had the availability to, to, to come to the New York version this time. So having done that scene with the same two girls over the every version over the past couple of years, I'm now going to be doing it with two other people, which is kind of weirding me out a bit. But it's going to be bet. it's going to be good. It's going to be good. But we had the first read through, and I was just sitting there going, "No, that's not how." I bet you'll be faithful when you're married too. Huh? <laughs> Nothing <laughs> wrong with being faithful when you're married. I would say it'd be exciting to be doing this with two new girls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's very exciting, and and I'm I'm looking forward to to see what happens with with the scene now. It was odd in the first read through, realizing oh, I'm going to probably have to change the way I do it too. <laughs> New actors will bring new Absolutely. stuff to the show, which will be spectacular. It's always nice to have some fresh blood. Definitely, definitely. I'm, I'm the only one uh, left from the original 10-minute, but two of the other cast members from the, the version we just did in the DC Fringe Festival are able to be here, Alessandra and Kelly. So there's three of us who, who are coming off from our run that we just did in DC, but I'm the only one that's been with it for the past two years. And the whole band is back. Yes. Which is incredible, because our band is extraordinarily they tight. rock. Our, especially our drummer is incredible, as as is our bass player. I guess just everyone. And the keyboards, I don't want to leave him out. And the magic box. A lot of times, one of the benefits a lot of people feel about the collaborative process of musical theater is having those other co-writers with you to help analyze what's working and what's not and, and debating. And while you definitely, as a sole writer, you have complete control, and that's wonderful, I was wondering if, as you go through the rewriting process, if sometimes you feel a little bit stranded without those other eyes around you. I, I like to have control. That's a nice thing to have, do whatever I want, milk my powers. Uh, but I don't ever feel myself really as being alone or stranded, because I do have a lot of collaborators that I work with, uh, including the director, uh, Shirley Saratsky, who I've done many shows with at this point. I've lost track, I think maybe four or five, which is a lot for a writer-director pair. So we have a, a very strong collaboration, I think. And so she really becomes my other set of eyes. You know, she can be very honest with me about the scripts and the material. Additionally, uh, we had a dramaturg when we were uh, doing our development over at the Kennedy Center who was absolutely phenomenal and helped so much while we were doing the rewrites. 
And also I have great cast members like Leo who've been in it since the beginning and whose opinions I take seriously. And every once in a while, uh, the actors will add their own lines into the script. And I'm not the kind of person who's really precious about my text or even my music for that matter. And so when they want to add stuff in, I'm absolutely cool with that. In fact, I encourage it if they make me sound like I know what I'm doing better than I do. So. There, there, there are a couple lines that that a couple actor, actors uh, ad libbed in one of the earlier workshop versions that then ended up in the script when we when we when we started doing it for the Fringe Festival, which is which is fun to see. Yes, I steal material from my performers. <laughs> there, there's a rule with the Writers Guild. It's called the blank page rule, which means the only writer is the writer who's there when the page was blank, no matter who <laughs> makes the other suggestions. So I'm allowed to steal from anyone who ever comes into the room. Us actors have no rights. We that's right. Eyes. Really? That, 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 that's, that's an actual rule with the Writers Guild? Yeah, it's like called the Wait, blank really? page clause or something like that. Yeah, actually, I had to learn about it when I was disputing something with the director one time about who actually owned material. And But anyone's allowed to make suggestions. But what it comes down to is it's always the writer's prerogative whether or not to accept those suggestions. From what I understand, too, is as new as podcasting is, I understand the two of you are already a little bit uh, podcasting sluts already, huh? Yes, yes, we are. Although it's very rude to say so. <laughs> well, sorry, let me put this away. Excuse me. Uh, this is, I think, podcast number four for the the Lunch Family. Actually, second for me. Second, second with Leo. One of them really was a Titus podcast, but you know, I still had to go do that one. But uh, we did a podcast for DC theater reviews back when we were just planning to form a theater company in DC, and I went with Shirley and the two of us were interviewed by DC Theater Reviews, and afterwards, we tried really hard to be earnest and serious and professional, and for me, it's hard to do, I tell you, but we came out of there, and Shirley looked at me and said, did we just make fools of ourselves? And I told her from now on, when we do these things, our goal should be to make fools out of ourselves, and then we won't be surprised when it happens. (laughs) And then I got to do a fun podcast with the New York Theater Experience, where I talked about my other show, Titus, and uh, got to have a lot of fun, because as someone pointed out, one of the most ridiculous things I've ever said was... uh, (laughs) I don't want to say the banquet scene leaves you with a good taste in your mouth because that would be weird. <laughs> well, next time the two of you want to make a fool of yourselves in a podcast, I'll just give the advice that it's audio and our audience can't tell that you stripped down and are painted yourselves half blue and white. That's true. That's yeah, true. That, it's that it's was, our Scottish approach. We that wanted... was So this was unnecessary? <laughs> I bought these paints with my own freaking money. <laughs> so if people are uh, in the mood for a little bit of hilarious eighth grade ska... Yes. What dates can they catch their show? Leo. Uh, the show is going to open on Wednesday, September 13th, and close on Sunday, September 24th. And in what theater? The 45th Street Theater, which is somewhere on 45th Street, we decided. <laughs> <laughs> but between, between 8th and 9th, I think, is what, is what we, we think. Start in Times Square <laughs> and head west, and you will find the theater. I assure you. <laughs> Would you like to introduce the second song we're going to play? Leo, why don't you introduce this one since you uh, are s- one of the vocalists? In I sing track. in this song. Yes, this, this, this song is called A Change in Me. The song is it's a duet between uh, me and uh, another girl after we have our first kiss. And it's it, we're playing eighth graders. The song is called A Change in Me, so you can sort of guess what it's going to be about. Thanks for taking some time to come down as you get ready for the show. No problem. Sure My thing. pleasure. Absolutely. Great fun.
Well, that wraps up Volume 3 of Broadway Bullet. I kept it a little bit shorter this time. I'm going to try to keep it so that it can be burned on a single CD for those of you who might want to burn it to a CD and listen in your car or your portable CD player. If a lot of you want more content each week, let me know. Definitely love to get feedback. In any case, the show's still brand new, so send an email to broadwaybullet at nextbighit.com and let us know what you think, what you'd like to hear more of, what you want to hear less of, what you'd like to see us cover. We definitely like your feedback. Also, want to remind everybody that single tickets for the New York Musical Theater Festival go on sale on September 1st. So go to nymf.org right away to order your tickets Act fast, because a lot of these shows can sell out very quickly. And you can find out more information about all the shows we played at our website, broadwaybullet.com. You can click on the Volume 3 podcast, and it'll take you to our forum with all the links. You can also go to nymf.org to find out more information about the shows that are in the New York Musical Theater Festival. BroadwayWorld.com has also picked up the Broadway Bullet for their Broadway World Radio. You can catch it at 8 p.m. on Thursdays and Tuesdays. They also have a lot of great other shows, such as Seth's Broadway Chatterbox, Jim Caruso's Cast Party, and they're always playing great musical theater. And one last thing, besides telling all your friends about Broadway Bullet, if you could take just a moment to give us a review in iTunes, you know, preferably five stars, that would be nice. That is a great way for people to discover the show because iTunes bases a lot of their features on the reviews that the shows are getting. So please, if you got an iTunes account, just take, you know, 30 seconds to write us a quick review. We'll be back next Wednesday with coverage of more great shows. Until then, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and you've been listening to Broadway Bullet. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.